Welcome to the Constructor Cast, your ATC place for all the news and views relevant to the construction industry. My name is Scott Barry, your host for this episode, and today we'll be talking about cybersecurity and cyber vulnerabilities for construction companies with AGC of America's Chief Information Officer, Farah Francis, and Joe Oleksak, a leader with Plant Moran's Information Technology Consulting Team. Uh, welcome, Farah and Joe. Thank you. Thank you. So let's just start right off into it. Uh, are contractors vulnerable to cyber attacks and hackers? Well, I believe we are. We live in a world where every day there is a concern and discussion about cybersecurity. We're seeing it in various industries, and our industry of construction is no exception. When one thinks of our blueprints for our projects, our client information, our subcontractor information, any hacker will be interested in getting that sort of data. Yeah, I would, I would, I would add with add to that that uh, you know, in, in what we're seeing in general across all industries is a is a is a rise, a jump in in hacker activity. Uh, I would tell you that uh, uh, maybe it's media generated the the the, the uh, understanding that this is going on now, but uh, uh, I I would argue that uh, hackers are going after and and focusing on uh, uh, individuals across all industries. They're they're going after not necessarily who you are, but what you're not doing. Um, to to gain access to systems and ultimately figure out uh, where to go from there. So not necessarily specifically targeting industries or even individual companies, just looking for people who haven't adequately protected themselves? Absolutely. For those of us that aren't really super familiar with how uh, cybersecurity works, how do those kinds of things function? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, you know, the hackers out there, they'll identify a, a new zero-day vulnerability or a new vulnerability will come out in the wild that uh, folks are uh, starting to understand, and they'll build tools. They'll build uh, executables, uh, um, the f- the functions that will go out onto the Internet and look for um, devices that are, are vulnerable, things that haven't been patched, companies that aren't aware that those uh, new vulnerabilities exist. And once they find those, they'll execute against them. They'll build their attack. Uh, they'll execute. They'll establish command and control. And ultimately, uh, uh, slowly um, and, and, and methodically, uh, work their way through the, the, the vulnerable network uh, to understand who the company is, um, what the potential uh, is for them to uh, you know, either uh, pull data, pull email, um, execute a wire transfer, uh, steal dollars, um, you know, whatever it is that they're able to get in. To. So um, really what they're doing is, is they're building those attacks. Um, they're looking for those who aren't uh, aware, um, which oftentimes is, is a multiple companies uh, across all industries. They figure out what industry they're in, and then they figure out what's the biggest dollar that they can pull out of that, either through data, um, ransomware, um, you know, what have you. So I think a lot of folks have this image in their mind of, of that quote-unquote hacker, you know, somebody just sitting behind a whole bunch of screens or something trying to penetrate a system, but that's only one of the ways that they get access to your system. It can be even innocuous things like email, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, phishing, social engineering through phishing, um, where they send the email, uh, that is a significant uh, um, uh, way in which hackers are actually initiating their, their attacks. Um, oftentimes, individuals within an organization um, will will be your will be your greatest asset, you know, uh, for for driving and building business, but are also your greatest weakness. Um, you can build technologies to uh, thwart hackers in many different ways, but if people allow the hackers around those controls and into your network, um, it's very difficult to truly identify and stop them. 
starting to get a little, a little scared over here. <laughs> so what kinds of things, you know, for a construction company that does, you know, basic kinds of construction, what are the kinds of things do you think hackers would be looking for there? Well, Scott, I've seen, and I'm sure, Joe, you have as well, from employee records to, as I mentioned earlier, um, the plan room information. Then they have their subcontractors' information, um, information like that, IDs, um, personal information for senior executives and the rest of the staff. And um, those are some of the things they are looking for. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I'd, I'd throw on, you know, vendor, you know, competitive, uh, you know, advantage in terms of, um, you know, pricing. Um, it could be anything. Corporate espionage is rather large as well. The target hack came out around a couple years ago, uh, but it wasn't a particular group trying to penetrate their systems. They actually, uh, the hackers got access through one of their subcontractor systems. So it seems like, uh, and I think it was like a refrigerator contractor or something. So it seems like uh, any construction company that's doing work for a larger owner at this point also faces a similar sort of vulnerability that maybe they haven't uh, realize that access to somebody, they, they are really just a point of access through somebody else's systems. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, um, I, I would tell you that uh, most organizations, uh, when they think about information security, they think about what they're responsible for. They think about what they're doing, uh, what their people are doing and should or should not be doing. They're not necessarily thinking about the contractors and vendors that they're bringing in, not realizing that they come from, you know, a different industry potentially, different uh, uh, types of companies that maybe don't think about security in the same way or, or even care about security, and that could leave them vulnerable. So we've got things like tangible plans, uh, especially as the construction industry goes more and more digitized. You know, you have things like building information modeling uh, and other sort of digital plans, or even uh, in AGC chapters that have digital plan rooms mm. of lots and lots of different kinds of plans. Uh, but there's also other sorts of things that hackers may be looking for, like access to other systems. What about uh, like ransom money? Is that the kind of thing uh, that you've seen uh, construction companies fall prey to? That sort of you know we hack your system, lock you out of your computers, and hold you know and ask for money to unlock it? I have heard of one instance, a uh, general contractor somewhere out in the west, and they have had a similar that sort of attack where they were their data was hacked and they were held ransom and was ask for money in order for them to release the files. There are dangers to, release, to paying up, and that's a whole separate conversation. However, the whole ransomware um, attack has hit our industry as well. Um, Joe, I suppose in your role and in your consultancy, I'm sure you have seen or have been exposed to a couple of those as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, uh, um, the crypto lockers and the ransomwares of the world uh, are only going to be getting uh, more and more popular and be used more and more often. What we're understanding from talking with clients across multiple industries, and you know, including real estate and construction, would uh, mimic that that same idea. Uh, you know, in speaking with uh, some folks in law enforcement, they mentioned to me that the hackers have gotten really good at identifying a price point, a price point that they know. Um, it's, it could behoove a, a company to, to actually pay it as opposed to trying to go through all the, the issue of recovering the data on their own and potentially not even be able to, to do that. So uh, um, the hackers have gotten very good at a price point. They've gotten very good at uh, getting people to click links and uh, ultimately install the ransomware to begin with. Um, and, uh, and so we can expect to see this happening more and more in the future. 
And construction seems to share some of the other vulnerabilities that, uh, like, for example, the healthcare industry has been a big target of ransomware, particularly because they simply just cannot afford a, you know, a single second or minute of their systems being down because lives are at stake. But on the construction industry side, every minute that you're unable to perform work is profit or money or time, or in some cases, all three, lost. Absolutely. In addition to the the amount you need to pay. Right, right, right exactly. So you mentioned that employees are often, you know, a greatest asset to a business's business plan, but also in some cases in cybersecurity, their greatest vulnerability. So whose job is cybersecurity in any particular company? Is it just the IT department or is it more? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And, 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 and historically, I will tell you that companies have always looked at information security and said, oh, that's IT. Um, and that's partly why we're in this problem to begin with. Really, the overall responsibility for information security resides with absolutely everyone who has access to technology. Um, we all play a role uh, and have a responsibility in information security. It should be driven from the top down, executive management on down from the owners to the managers to the construction workers. Absolutely anybody who can plug in a USB, anybody who can visit Google Docs or Dropbox, anybody who has access to you know, industrial control systems, um, everyone who controls access to any system, um, to any data that might be considered critical, uh, to email, um, you go down the line. Absolutely everyone needs to be educated and understand their role in protecting not only uh, the company's data, not only their own data, but also the company's data as well. And Joe, it's great to hear you mention it's from the top down. I do believe information security for any organization is indeed a corporate strategy as well. And if it filters from the top, the everyone below will follow suit. And of course, it also speaks to a level of training, which I'm sure Scott is going to get into shortly. But I echo your sentiments 100%. Yeah, it seems like a good as time as any to talk about. So if you've got a construction company that has said, okay, we recognize that there are vulnerabilities in our cyber system out there, uh, what can they do uh, to train their employees to better uh, cover themselves in this in these kinds of cases? Um, one of the things I, I believe should be done is um, a scheduled set of training and reminders to the staff, from email alerts to the staff about some level of a new piece of information regarding a possible um, vulnerabilities from training them to recognize and be careful about emails that they don't recognize with attachments and if they have any doubts about an attachment that they should see the IT department and we at AGC are in the midst of sort of doing that sort of training for our staff certainly a constant education and letting them recognize the importance of it as an employee of any organization, there is that, and then we can also have it spill over to their personal. In other words, some of us, we all have credit cards, and we are all very conscious about being protective of it. And so we want to train the employees that we to take that same approach for the AGC assets as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think it really all begins with asset management. Um, and when I say asset management, I'm talking about um, not only the hardware devices, um, but the software and systems that sit and data that sit and reside on it, um, doing a criticality analysis and understanding what type of data sits where and what do these systems have access to. 
if the organization can truly understand holistically from a population perspective what exists and what these people have access to, then they can properly train these folks and educate these folks, um, these individuals, these, these construction workers, these um, you know, back, you know, back office room accountants, etc. They, they, they can teach these people what they're specifically responsible for. You know, it's one thing to teach an accountant, hey, here's why you don't click links. Here's what could happen. Those risks that they'll be able to process, you know, from a financial perspective. Um, but when you've got an you know, on-site construction worker, you explain to them why they wouldn't or shouldn't pick up a USB and plug it into the device and what could happen. They potentially have different risks, different threats. And so giving them a perspective of security based on their role within the organization and based on the data they have access to, I think you give them a, a very strong perspective. I think that they understand it at that point. And, and remember, everybody wants to do well. Everybody wants to do right for their customer and for their client um, and for their company that they work for. So um, if you educate the people properly and have a proper understanding of what they have access to, um, then I think you can achieve security more efficiently and more effectively. And, and Joe, based on what you've said as well, all of this wrapped into a formal security policy distributed to your staff. That is the blueprint for you know, managing the security of your organization. Absolutely. So we've talked about employee training as, a, as an important shield against these kinds of things. And uh, we just finished talking about you know, setting up some sort of communication protocols so that folks know when certain kinds of things uh, will request information and when other things should be looked at more skeptically. Let's say now in the event of uh, an actual incident for a construction company, we all sort of know that uh, one of the most ironclad rules in business is that the worst time to develop a plan for dealing with something is after it's already happened. So what kinds of things would a contractor or really any company really need to put in place for an incident response plan before something like this actually happens? So I wanted to just mention that in pre preparing your organization for securing you know, the assets within your organization, one of the things that's recommended is to do a review of your entire landscape of all of your hardware, software, et cetera. Make a sort of inventory so you have an idea of where you, where you are, where you Setting stand. up a baseline. Set up the baseline and then do an assessment. You know, see um, what should be re updated, what needs to be replaced, and sort of assess first before you buy. And then you get into understand all of the risks and um, see where you can do any sort of mitigation and avoidance altogether. So, the, so then that ties into your disaster recovery plan and, of course, your business continuity plan. And, where, and of course, I'm sure, Joe, you will recommend to folks to buy some sort of cybersecurity insurance to protect the organization. A couple other things, too, and we are doing it here at the AGC, is creating that scorecard to understand the vulnerabilities that exist within your network and in your infrastructure. So you have an idea of where we have the loopholes, where are, there are some weaknesses, where we are strong. So in developing that scorecard, the C-suite, the senior management can sit with the IT um, department and say, okay, let's invest in this versus let's tighten here. And as the IT can recommend, but we need to do certain things like patching better or more frequently, getting alerts, getting a managed, an, um, a monitoring service to track everything. And then, of course, you look into buying the right set of technology to plug into where there are loopholes. And at the same time, again, as we mentioned, the security policy, and then install security software that you can really keep a, tra a track of what's going on in your organization from time to time. So these are some of the things in, to prepare yourself in, the, in advance of an attack. Joe? 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I, I think it's very important um, these days uh, to consider a formal incident response plan. So, um, you know, Farad mentioned uh, um, quite accurately, you have to have proper business continuity and uh, disaster recovery in place. I know, uh, you know, 10 or so years ago, uh, many companies didn't have that. And over time, they've understood the, necess- the necessity for having, you know, um, those types of policies and procedures in place, you know, to effectively recover. Well, you know, cybersecurity, although not new in my head, is new to many different organizations, especially in real estate and construction. And so it's very important to start to realize that without a proper incident response plan, uh, you won't necessarily be able to effectively identify and respond effectively um, to uh, an incident as it's occurring, um, which could cost a, a significant dollar amount. So it's very important to have that formalized plan. Some of the key components within the plan, of course, are uh, user education. How do you educate users on how to identify um, an incident and what might be occurring? Um, Once something is identified, what is that calling tree? Who are you supposed to contact and when? What's their number? What's their email? Um, And once that is identified, really the users who've kind of played their role, you know, the, the, the staff members. Now it's up to um, the response, the champion, right, the incident response champion who receives that phone call. What policies and processes and procedures do they follow um, in order to effectively, uh, you know, identify, um, uh, uh, capture, right, the, 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 the event, um, the, uh, the, all the details, um, and ultimately, how to um, uh, uh, limit their overall exposure. So, for example, if a certain number of machines are infected with a virus, um, you know, how do you get those off of the network in a timely fashion so that that virus doesn't spread? Uh, same with uh, ransomware or other malware that might be spreading across an, an, a network. So once, once you, um, once you uh, localize the issue, um, how do you properly then inoculate and, and remove those uh, devices? Do you go off of a a strategy of, of, of pulling those devices from your network and then reinstalling and recreating um, based on new hardware? Or are you just solely going to, um, you know, uh, run antivirus, clean it off, and continue on with the same uh, software and hardware that you had before? Uh, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Of course, I would always recommend the latter as a, or the, the former as opposed to the latter. Um, Regardless, once you've gone through that process, you also need to understand and have in your incident response plan a plan for uh, discussing and talking about these things with the media. Hopefully, you never have an issue that that escalates to that point. But you know, as you can imagine, with Target and their HVAC vendor, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, um, you know, having a, a media response plan as part of your incident response plan would probably have been a good idea. Um, having uh, legal representation or or knowing when to escalate this and get legal involved to help you uh, limit your overall financial exposure. Um, those are all very important aspects, and also legal uh, talking with uh, uh, police or the FBI. When do you bring those folks in? Um, many times you won't need to, but in the rare instance that you need to, um, having a contact in place uh, um, and knowing who to call immediately can, can significantly help you in the recovery process. So um, there's, there's a lot to be thought of. Incident response planning is just as important as the disaster recovery and business continuity was uh, um, you know, a few years back when everyone started to realize the need for it. Well, I know a lot of construction companies aren't necessarily experts in these kinds of things, so they would probably turn, in many cases, to consulting firms like yours, Joe. What are the kinds of things that firms like yours could help contractors develop uh, as a plan, you know, whether it's an incident response plan or something else, uh, to help them protect themselves? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Great question. So, you know, obviously developing the, the incident response plan is, is, is a very important uh, a portion of what we do. Once these processes are in place, it's important to, you know, test them. Um, you want to make sure that in the event something does happen, you are prepared and ready. So we've also assisted clients with um, uh, testing their incident response, testing their people to make sure, hey, if there is an incident, um, can you can you localize, can you follow the right procedures, and can you inoculate and clean the issue uh, in a timely fashion? So understanding um, what's going on is, is very important in that area. We also do a lot with attack and penetration, where we'll actually, you know, pretend to be the hacker, where we actually try to break in. Um, we do that in several different ways, including social engineering, including, you know, road apples or dropping USBs, right, at uh, different uh, sites and seeing if people will plug them in. A simple, you know, action of plugging in a USB can give us remote access to a machine, um, you know, anywhere. We've set up rogue uh, wireless access devices. So when, when people are at uh, um, different locations, if they connect to our rogue access site, we now gain access to their username and password or, or we get remote access onto their um, network depending on the vulnerability that we're executing against. So um, we test people uh, based on real-world threat scenarios to help you understand, um, are your people operating like they should? Are they following the right policies and procedures? Do you have the proper technologies in place? So really looking at you from a information security, right, from a, a people, a process, and a technology perspective. And that's the holistic approach we take to helping our clients and companies, uh, uh, you know, uh, harden themselves uh, so that the hackers, you know, go, go somewhere else, go where there, there's a little less resistance. That's an, an interesting point talking about just making sure that, you know, you run faster than the guy next to you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So is there such a thing as a perfect system, you know, a system that is in, invulnerable to cyber attacks? No. Uh, typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm afraid not. So given that there is no perfect system, it really seems like it, it behooves a person, no matter what industry, but particularly in construction where we have lots of vulnerable uh, plans, employee data, uh, we build a lot of critical infrastructure, uh, and frequently work uh, directly for the federal government. It sort of behooves us to approach the problem uh, not as a question of if, but when. Um, you know, and Scott, you're spot on with that, I think, and we've been saying it a couple, minutes, a couple times in this conversation, making it a strategy from the top, um, security, as you plan, you budget for it, you plan for it, you hire for it, you consider it along the way, because it's not going away, and I'm afraid that cyber attacks is now going to be the, next f the future of, of um, penetration in terms of affecting business operations. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I would even argue that you could turn security and, and the focus on security into a competitive advantage. Um, you know, construction and real estate, you know, you're, you're always constantly working for industries like, um, let's say, healthcare or banking. They have HIPAA or GLBA. Um, you mentioned federal government. You've got the NIST standard and some other cybersecurity laws that need to be followed. Imagine if you can show um, as part of your bidding process that, yeah, not only are you great builders, but you're also very keenly aware of the issues around cybersecurity that each of these organizations face. 
um, you're going to gain confidence and you're going to get that leg up over the other type companies that really kind of aren't, aren't mentioning that, aren't really um, aren't, aren't recognizing um, that uh, information security uh, goes well beyond just computers. It goes into, you know, the building of, of a facility um, and it goes into um, the people that you're using and the um, processes you're, you know, following to, um, you know, basically create uh, a secure environment through uh, the life cycle of, of that company's uh, facilities. So just like how a contractor treats any other form of compliance like safety or environmental or, or anything like that, turn it into a competitive advantage. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, Farah, are there any other kinds of things that AGC is doing uh, to help prepare its members to uh, better comply with these kinds of rules that are coming out or uh, just to better protect themselves? Yes, we are. Um, beginning in November, on November 10th, AGC will launch a cyber security webinar series. It's a four-part series. And we will touch on the technology of how you can avoid it and the things you have to put in place to to protect your environment. We will have a segment on the federal for federal contractors. And of course, we will touch on other aspects like risks and mitigation and insurance, et cetera. So there's gonna be a great four-part series with outstanding speakers um, familiar with our industry. Well, great. That's about all the time we have for today. Thanks to AGC's Farah Francis and Plant Moran's Joe Oleksak for sharing their insight with us today. Uh, and I'd like to thank everyone for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast.